Amen. Amen. Thanks, Paul. Can you hear me okay at the back? This was a good one. Okay. God's so kind, isn't he? I, I wanted to start off this morning with a game. Because I like games, and I figure that children usually get the lion's share of games. So I thought as some grown-ups we could play an appropriate game this morning. I wasn't sure about how to segue into this, but it was basically part of what I'm going to be talking about today is uncertainty. And then uh, Paul really helpfully mentioned uh, about stepping out of the boat, stepping out onto the water. And so I'm going to do a game based on uncertainty. So for this, I need you to stand up on your feet. I have got dairy milk as a prize. This will be fun. I promise you. And if it's not, you can speak to me afterwards or speak to the bishop if you want. Um, so what we're going to do is the most kind of uncertain thing there is really, or the fairest way of doing uncertain stuff, is, is flipping a coin, isn't it? Because you never know what it's going to be. It's going to be heads or tails. And so I thought we could do a kind of elimination heads or tails chocolate bar giveaway. Okay, what you're going to do is each time I flip the coin, you're going to pick either heads or tails. If you're heads, you need to do this or that or something that looks a bit like an H, just so that we can identify and we know what you've actually chosen. If you want to pick tails, you need to do some kind of T-shape. Could be that, could be that. Okay, you might hit the person next to you, but if it's someone you don't like, that doesn't really matter. Um, so I'm going to flip the coin. So elect your first thing. Go for tails, heads, whatever it is. You need to go now. Make quick decisions, because I'm going to have to do this about eight times, I reckon. Okay, I'm going to go for heads. Okay, it's heads. Yes, I'm in. Anyone who's tails, you're going to have to sit down. Okay, here we go again. Next nomination, go quickly. Wow, a lot of people chose heads. That's weird. Maybe some strange psychological thing. Okay, three, two, one. Nominate. Go. I've got to try not to drop the coins. Heads again. I didn't nominate. I forgot. Never mind. It's about you guys. Okay. Tails or sit down. Okay, that's two heads. Some people are just going to go, I'm just going to go heads all the way. Uh, let's see if that works for you. I don't know. Okay, we've got tails. <laughs> tails is a tails. Oh, good. Okay, you guys are starting to feel smug now, I can tell. Okay, heads or tails, nominate. It's a heads. Tails, sit down. Okay. This is, this is getting tricky. Are you guys all doing the same thing all the time? We're just going to end up here all day, aren't we? Okay, heads. Tails, sit down. Yes! Okay, what are we down to? We're down to... Okay, now, I've just realised, which I haven't thought about before, you can't all do the same thing because this is just going to mess it all up. Okay. Tails. Heads, sit down. Oh, three tails. It's getting exciting now. Tails. Oh, it's you! I love the way we clap, like she's achieved something. Yeah. So, it's chance, that's the point, it's uncertainty. Anyway, um, that will hopefully make a bit of sense as I go on. Uh, so... This morning, I've got the privilege of preaching to you guys, and it's the first of three-part series on faith in film. Um, and so we're actually going to be playing little clips of a film as we go along. It's been a nightmare to kind of try and work out how to preach from a film and all of that, but hopefully you guys will get something out of this because God is really good all the time. Um, I've chosen to preach today on a film called Pleasantville. And Pleasantville is a 1998 film that came out the same, uh, same time as Truman Show. It's got similar undertones, overtones, uh, but it's a bit overshadowed. I think it's a great film, uh, and I'm going to show clips, which means that hopefully, if you've never seen it before, which is probably most of you, um, you'll still get where I'm going. 
But for the benefit of those of you that haven't seen uh, Pleasantville before, uh, I'm going to play the first clip, uh, which gives you the trailer, and that gives you a kind of feel for what it's about. So if we can run the trailer clip, uh, that would be brilliant. There's a place where life is simple. People are perfect. And everything is black and white. Honey, I'm home. It's a place that's as far from reality as we can imagine. How about some marshmallow rice squares? Those are swell. But maybe it's a lot closer that. than we think. Better get a move on or you'll be late for school. I put blueberries in them just the way you like. We're in Pleasantville? No! We're supposed to be in school. We're supposed to be in color? What's all the commotion? Who's that? I didn't think you'd want to come here until we'd been pinned for a little while. You can pin me anytime you want to. Or maybe I should just pin you. She's a fine young woman. She would never do anything for us to be concerned about. From the creator of Big and Dave. What are you doing to these people? You can't do this to them. You're messing with their whole universe. Maybe it needs to be messed with David. Comes a story about the loss of innocence. Oh, I brought you something from the library. Gee whiz. And the power of change. What's outside of Pleasantville? There's some places where the road keeps going. Cinema presents. Look at my face. It'll go away. I don't want it to go away. Something is happening to our town. Jeff Daniels, William H. Macy, Joan Allen, Reese Witherspoon, and Toby McGuire. So what's going to happen now? I don't know. Pleasantville. What are we going to do, Bob? Well, we're safe for now. Thank goodness we're in a bowling alley. Okay, so I think what sums this film up is right at the end, they're just sitting on this bench, and one says, so what do we do now? And the other one's like, I don't know. It's a film that is inherently about uncertainty. And the basic premise is that there's a teenage brother and sister called David and Jennifer. They're living in the present day-ish and uh, David finds the world a really scary place. We first see him, he's sitting in class, and he's, he's uh, listening to uh, like a geography lesson, and they're talking about natural disasters, and he's terrified. And then he's in like an economics class, and they're talking about the economic downturn, and you know, how it's difficult to get jobs, and he's, he's terrified. Um, and then he's in another lesson, they're talking about global warming, and he, he's equally terrified, and he's just finding this uncertainty of life uh, really scary. And so David uh, finds solace and comfort in watching this 50s TV show called Pleasantville. It's the very uh, definition of predictable. It's a black and white world where everything is always the same, it's always, the sa it's always safe, and you always know what's going to happen next. And it's the kind of life that David craves. You know, it's like heads. 
heads every time it's heads we know what's going on he's thinking he's watched all the reruns and he's like this is episode 23 I know what happens in episode 23 and it's a safe space for him to be in his sister Jennifer however is totally different she embraces anarchy and chaos and she loves life's unpredictability she loves the fact that life is uncertain and that there could be an opportunity just around the corner She dates the bad boys, she sneaks out uh, against her parents' wishes, but it is this unpredictability that makes life so great. So for her, she's not interested in watching Pleasantville because Pleasantville is just like dull, 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 the definition of dull. And then one day, their life is turned upside down. They're fighting over the TV. He wants to watch Pleasantville Marathon. She doesn't want to watch it. They're fighting over the remote, and the remote flies across the room and smashes into bits. And suddenly, this mysterious man turns up, and he offers them a different remote control. And amidst another fight over remote control, having not learned their previous lesson, they accidentally press the big red button, and they get zapped into Pleasantville. David becomes Bud, and Jennifer becomes Mary Sue. And initially, it's Bud's idea of heaven. He's in episode 23. He knows literally what's going to happen. He's like, oh, this is the one where this happens. And so he just feels so safe and comfortable in Pleasantville. In Pleasantville, it never rains. Because that's just not pleasant, is it? In Pleasantville, there are no fires. And so fire, firefighters just spend their whole time rescuing cats because they've just got nothing else to do because fire isn't pleasant. The college basketball team always wins because they never miss a basket, because missing baskets and losing at sport just isn't pleasant. Home is the idea of 1950s domestic bliss, with wives being perfect housekeepers, husbands being perfect breadwinners, and dinner is always on the table when the man gets home from work, just as it should be. No, I didn't say that. (laughs) I didn't say that. Uh, In Pleasantville... No one ever goes to the toilet because that's unpleasant and double beds don't exist because sex doesn't exist because that's too unpleasant as well. It's just not pleasant. Mary Sue, however, finds this relentless pleasantness uh, just intolerable. She begins to introduce anarchy into Pleasantville. Suddenly they're they're seeing things and, and knowing things that they'd never seen before. And her first move is to flirt with this innocent teenage boy. Okay, she takes him down Lover's Lane, and Lover's Lane in Pleasantville is a place where people go and they hold hands and they laugh about how naughty that is. And she takes his virginity. And so this this boy is kind of, his mind is blown. He's like, what's happening? And um, it's this, uh, yeah, suddenly like Lover's Lane, just which... Uh, previously was just this kind of slightly, uh, slightly kind of funny place to go, a bit cheeky, uh, becomes a place of kind of sexual promiscuity and sexual uh, freedom, in inverted commas. And as the boy drives away from Lover's Lane, having lost his virginity, uh, his sexual awakening and the introduction of uncertainty into Pleasantville is symbolised by a rose. So he suddenly sees, he's walking along in this black and white world, and he suddenly sees this bright, red, fluorescent, glowing, lush, red rose. And he's like, what is that? 
This is a pivotal moment in the film. In popular culture, the rose as a symbol is something of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, its vivid petals are symbolic of promise and hope and new beginnings. But on the other hand, the thorns represent defense, loss, and thoughtlessness. And the question then for the rest of the film, which really hangs over it, is, is unpredictable technicolor favorable to predictable monochrome? Is unpredictable technicolor favorable to predictable monochrome? So as the film moves forward, the predictability of Pleasantville begins to crumble. And the world is irrevocably changed, both for good and for bad. Um, this is illustrated brilliantly by uh, our next clip, which I'll cue in just a second. And it shows what happens when Pleasantville experiences its first ever fire. It's comedy genius. You'll see it in a minute. Um, I'm going to apologise on two counts. One, the, uh, the quality of this clip isn't fantastic, and also there is a brief swear word. So if you don't want to hear that, put your fingers in your ears for the first 10 seconds and you'll be fine. So can we run the clip, please? Just such a good film, you've got to watch it. Um, so in this clip, it, it demonstrates that kind of um, good and bad nature of the freedom that they're starting to experience as Pleasantville residents. On the one hand, there is the panic and uncertainty of like, what is this thing? What is this weird yellow stuff going on that's kicking out heat from this tree? And, and he's just panicking. He's like, what do I do? What do we do? And then as soon as he like, uses the hose and he's like, oh, so that's what this thing does, um, he suddenly realizes that actually he's fulfilling his life's purpose. There's something that's been innately in him. It's like a firefighter that has never been able to fight fires. And suddenly he gets to do it. He's like, yeah, this is great. And so the world has become scarier and more uncertain, but it's also pregnant with possibility, yeah? The basketball team now no longer always win the league. They've actually got to practice. Dinner isn't always on the table when the man gets home from work. Shock horror. Our 
art in all its beauty and colour begins to be embraced and loved and the pages of books begin to fill, as the trailer showed, as people start talking, as Bud, you know, Bud and Mary Sue, they start talking and sharing stories from the real world, things like Huckleberry Finn. They start speaking about these stories these people have never heard before and the pages of the books start filling up. The people experience real rain for the first time, because rain isn't pleasant, as I've said. Um, but they experience the misery of being cold and soaked through and chilly. And it's like, oh, it's not nice, is it? If you've ever come back from somewhere hideously unequipped without an umbrella, it's not nice being soaked through and cold. And they experience that. But they also experience the fresh spring shower. You know, at the moment, with the heat that we've got, isn't it nice when it rains? We're like, oh, it's raining. Who thought the Brit British people would speak like that? Um, but it is, it's nice to experience rain sometimes. Sexuality is awakened all over the town. There is now the possibility of abuse. There's the possibility of misuse of their bodies and other people's bodies. But there's also the prospect of a new level of intimacy, a new level of vulnerability, of romance and tenderness. In short, instead of just being robots that just do the same thing every day without question, and without questioning the structures that control them, the people begin to think for themselves. Now, for the person that lives in a constantly unpredictable and uncertain world, one like ours, you might say, actually, the, the kind of Pleasantville life has some elements about it that are quite appealing, aren't they? You know, if, if I knew what was going to happen tomorrow, it would kind of be quite nice. There'd be something quite comforting and reassuring about that. But the reality of this, if we think about it, is that to someone stuck in a seemingly safe, uh, seemingly safe world of control, governed by law, where there's monotony, predictability, and where thinking isn't encouraged, we might think of places like North Korea. It is the unpredictable, uncertain, and anarchic world that represents true freedom. So as Pleasantville begins to feel its way into its newly found freedom, the cultural shift is depicted by more and more splashes of colour that break out into Pleasantville. Suddenly people's faces uh, go from, go from grey to gaining colour. There's cars that gain colour. There's grass that begins to, begins to go proper green and, and flowers that, that get covered in colour. And as people have been enlightened through unpleasant uh, activity, such as being moved to tears by a beautiful piece of art, by reading a novel or becoming angry or experiencing sex, um, gradually as these things happen, uh, the, the, the colour kind of spreads more and more. And I'm going to play uh, clip number three, is it? I think we're on. Uh, which uh, in this scene... Uh, just, yeah, just watch it. I think it's a really, really moving, uh, moving and powerful scene. Are you okay? You all right? This way. <laughs> How can I go out there this way? 
okay. It's all right. Betty? Have you got any makeup? In my handbag? Honey, where are you? Here, give me your cheek. Here, give me the other. There. Yes. Does it look okay? So, in this scene, um, Bud's mum has, at this point, kind of rejected a life of pleasant mediocrity. She's opted for a messier life, a, mess, a life that involves choice and moral ambiguity, risk. She, should, she could get it wrong. It's uncertain. She doesn't know what tomorrow is going to hold anymore. And her skin has changed color. Her skin now betrays her and reveals her as one that the establishment should look out for. She's a potential troublemaker, an instigator of change. This visual representation of liberation begins to divide the whole community as the pro-freedom party appear in bright technicolor in contrast to the other people who are still in black and white. Those people that are uh, the original Pleasantville residents, fearful of change, they're fearful, they're eager to keep Pleasantville pleasant. And many of them have a vested interest in maintaining the status quo. And the establishment react with fear at the threat of change. And society, one might call it the world, using biblical language, begins to turn on those who speak out and seek freedom. This is a familiar pattern that we see woven through the Gospels. When Jesus, particularly towards the end of his ministry, subverts those in power, that is the Sanhedrin, the Jewish leaders, and Rome. He was in essence saying to the people, just as Bud and Mary Sue said to the residents of Pleasantville, there is more to life than what your ears can hear, what your eyes can see, and what you can touch with your hands. You know, Rome may want to keep the world a pleasant, uneventful shade of grey, but I'm here so that you might see that there is another world which lies behind our world. It's a world as close as your skin that you can't necessarily see or taste or touch. It's called the kingdom of heaven. To the religious leaders, neither Jesus nor the coming kingdom was pleasant. Observing Jesus' shameless association with tax collectors, with prostitutes, with sinners, they feared what might happen if other people were to follow suit, departing from their ordered way of life. What if the Pharisees begin to associate with prostitutes? They're thinking. What if lepers start being invited into worship services? What if homeless people start being invited into 
worship services. They were so afraid of change, they were unable to see the beauty and freedom of a life rooted in the unconditional love of the Father. The result of this is some pretty unpleasant behavior, which we're going to see in clip number four, if we can uh, cue that up. going on here. Up until now, everything around here has always been, well, pleasant. Recently, certain things have become unpleasant. Now, it seems to me that the first thing we have to do is to separate out the things that are pleasant from the things that are unpleasant. scary stuff. In short, let's build a wall, yeah? Let's separate out Mexico from the USA. Let's separate Muslims from white people. Let's separate the homeless from the middle classes. We end up with the Holocaust. We end up with apartheid when this creeps in. At the moment in our world, there's a lot of fear. There's fear of change. There's fear of difference. There's fear of uncertainty. What's going to happen? I want to read you an excerpt from John's Gospel. uh, John 7, 43 to 46. If you've got a Bible, either phone, app, or thing, you're welcome to to turn to that. But just to set the context, um, this is a scene where Jesus um, has stood up in the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles is a celebration of God's provision It's a celebration of the God who provided water from a stone in the wilderness. And then Jesus stands up in the middle of this and he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Controversial stuff. So John 7, uh, from verse 40, it says, on hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said, he's the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does. The guards replied. No one ever spoke the way that Jesus spoke. He's a different category. We're not, we're not like Jesus. In some ways we are. But Jesus is unique. He's the God man. And no one ever spoke the way he spoke. And in Jesus, the kingdom of heaven comes crashing into the people's Pleasantville. And their reaction is fear. We're scared. He's different. He's not like us. We don't like what's happening here. We don't understand what's going on. 
This kingdom of heaven stuff just isn't predictable. It's not safe. It's not neat. It's not pleasant. We've got to do some dividing. We've got to get rid of him. See, it was ultimately the fear of what might happen to the world that led the world to crucify Jesus. How does all of this land for us in Worcester today? How do we react when the kingdom comes crashing into our lives in a way that is, is difficult or uncomfortable or we just don't understand it? How do we, how do we deal with the, that uncertainty? You know, heads, tails, you know, out the window, really. We have no idea what's going to happen. So how are we going to react when the kingdom comes? Because that's what we want, isn't it? Yeah? We want the kingdom to come. That's what we say in the Lord's Prayer every time we say it. But when the Spirit manifests in the present, it can be deeply challenging. When we pray in the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come... If we mean it, we're inviting God to do the unexpected, the inexplicable, the messy in our midst. And I contend that when the kingdom comes, we can react in in one of three ways demonstrated by this film. Option one is we could be like the mayor, separate it out, acting from a place of fear. The kingdom is just too disruptive, so let's separate ourselves from anything that is likely to pose a risk to our church culture. Or it might not be as overt as this. It might be that we kind of fudge it and we say, God, we'd really like you to turn up, but in the way that we'd like you to turn up. Within the limits of what's acceptable to us currently. As long as our Pleasantville doesn't become too unpleasant, Jesus, you're welcome here. So how would we at All Saints begin to feel if challenging prophetic words or tongues were spoken from the front? Or if healings or unexpected manifestations of the Holy Spirit became a regular thing? You know, on Pentecost, people thought the disciples were drunk. They had no idea what was going on. No idea at all. And people were scared. There was a mixture of, like, perplexedness and... That's not a word, is it? Perplexedness. But you know what I mean. Um... It's challenging, it's deeply challenging, and I just ask the question, are we ready for that, or are we going to react with fear? Option two, um, like Bud's mother, is we hide. She had begun to reject Pleasantville's pleasantness, but as soon as it began to show her up as being different, as soon as it began to show her up as being countercultural. It's deeply challenging. As soon as the heat was on her and the people saw her as someone that was going to challenge the status quo, out comes the makeup. I'll pretend to just be like everyone else. Give me the makeup. I don't, I don't want to look technicolor. I don't want to look vivid and bright and different. I, want to, I don't want to stand out. I want to be black and white again. I wonder what ways do we cover up in public? You know, when someone asks you this week, what did you do on Sunday? Will you say, you know what, I went to church. It was brilliant. Andy did the best sermon I've ever heard. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But will will you be honest about where you are? Serious question. I've done it. I've done it in the past. I don't do it anymore. But if people ask me a while ago, did you go to, you know, what did you do on Sunday? I kind of go, oh, you know, I met up with some friends. It's true, but it's kind of, you know, fudging it, isn't it? Yeah, just tell them. Let's tell them. Let's be bold. Let's not hide. 
It's easy when the kingdom breaks out for us to react in ways which demonstrate fear or that we hide. But my prayer today is that we can take option three. And option three is that we be a bit more like the firefighter. Love his face in that. I, just, I, try, I spent ages just trying to get the exact second where he had this delight on his face. But, you know, he, he, he turns up, doesn't he, to this fire. And can, can you imagine what that would have been like? You, you, you've never seen fire before, and suddenly a tree spontaneously combusts. You're responsible. You're the firefighter. You're on duty that day, and it's your job to put it out. You've never seen one before. You don't know how it works. You don't know what you're doing. And I think we can feel like that when, when spiritual stuff starts happening in our presence. We can go, whoa, what's going on here? We can do that. We can even, you know, as Christians, we can, we can get worried about that kind of thing. But as soon as, as soon as he realizes what he's meant to do, as soon as he realizes who he's meant to be, it's like my identity is a firefighter. I'm meant to fight fires. I know how to fight fires. So that's what this thing is for. I think for us as Christians, as part of us that needs to, when we step out, when we step out on the water and we do it, that's when we realize what we're for. We get like, oh, that's what I'm for. I'm meant to take risk. I'm meant to have faith. I'm meant to do things that if I don't turn up, I'm going to fail or I'm going to look stupid or it's going to be dangerous. How much do we do that? But I really profoundly believe, and I'm deeply challenged by this, by the way, myself. I went to New Wine this week, and I felt God was speaking directly into some of this. You know, I'm, I'm scared a lot, and I, I'm a chicken, and I bottle it. There's been times again and again and again where I've thought, I should go and speak to that person. I think God's got a word for them, and I've not done the thing. You know, I've been disobedient, and that's all it is. But I really believe, I really believe that as a church, that's where we're going. Let's embrace that call to be technicolor, vivid people. Let's, let's pray. I want to pray for us, if I may. <clears throat> Thank you for your presence, Jesus. Thank you that you love us deeply. Thank you, Jesus, that you modeled what it looks like to live a life of technicolor vibrancy. A life of of beauty and risk and danger that you put yourself on the cross for a greater purpose. That moment of the cross, if, if there is ever a technicolor moment in history, that is the one which is just too bright to look at. You're amazing, Jesus. We love you. And Lord, when your kingdom comes and we see things and we hear things and we touch things that are of the kingdom and we react with fear and we push people away or we separate things out or we try and distance ourselves from what you're doing, Lord, forgive us. Lord, when we hide, when we choose to try and fit in and look like everyone else in Pleasantville, when we put the makeup on, would you forgive us, Lord? Help us to walk around with our head held high, 
as, as followers of Jesus, that people know that we're followers of Jesus. Forgive us, Lord, for when we, yeah, when we put the makeup on and pretend to be just like everybody else. And Lord, my prayer for today, for, for myself as much as for everybody here, Lord, would you help us to embrace the kingdom, to embrace the messiness, to embrace the uncertainty, to embrace a life where we're stretched and we're uncomfortable, where we take risks, where we do things, where if you don't show up, we're going to be really stuck. Because that's what faith looks like. I've just got a feeling um, that there's going to be some people here today maybe that feel, actually, you know what, I've been hiding my faith from people. There might be specific people right now that you're thinking of, people at work, and you've been there for years. You could have been there for five years, ten years, and people don't know that you are a Christian. I I really believe the Lord wants to break some of that fear today. It may be that you feel that uh, you're reacting with fear and that you're trying to push people away or push, yeah, things of the spirit away even. That actually things around spiritual gifts, the prophetic, um, whatever it might be, that, that, that you've kind of got a bit of, bit of fear about that and you push it away. Again, I think the Lord wants to break some of that. If that's you today, um, yeah, we'd really love to just pray for you. Um, I'll sort of make sure there's some people at the side who can can pray for you in that after the service. But Lord Jesus, we thank you that you speak even through film. Who thought it? <laughs> but thank you that you speak, Lord. And I pray your blessing upon us now as we, uh, as we reflect on what it is that you've been speaking to us. In Jesus' name, amen.